when you ask somebody for $50 million, you start to see the raw fringes of human psychology. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. Today's podcast is sponsored by Van City Buzz. Do you love Vancouver? Stay connected to your city with the latest in news, events, sports, music, and more with Van City Buzz. Check out vancitybuzz.com or search Van City Buzz on social media. So today's guest is Mr. Oren Claff. And in his words, he says, I think about the field of finance as being overrun with dull and repetitive business people who are doing the minimum possible to get by with apathy and complacence and generally achieving mediocrity. If this is what you're trying to get away from, then I think I'd like you. Most of my experience has been in raising money, but I can pitch any kind of deal. Right now, I'm pitching an airport, a $150 million semiconductor company, and a $200 million genetic information company. I've pitched 35 of these kinds of deals to date with some success. I can work 25 hours a day when necessary. It often is. I charge reasonable rates, and I don't give a crap about a deal unless the people in it are fun to work with. I can't stand NBA doublespeak and care for office politics even less. I would rather dig trenches in the dirt than finance a deal I'm ashamed of. I ride a Ducati Hyper Motard and a Caviga Mito, and I have 17 fountain pens. Most of them leak. If you think we'd be good friends, find a way to say hi. If not, good luck anyways. So that should give you a little taste of what you're in for with Oren today. But Oren is actually the author of Pitch Anything. So what's Pitch Anything about? If you're sitting across from the one person who can help you secure the biggest deal of your career, you have to know how to get and keep his attention. But chances are, instead of listening to you, he's fiddling with his pen and acting like you're wasting his valuable time. Your next move means the difference between getting the deal or going home empty-handed. These are high-stakes situations, and if you know how to get control when this happens, you'll have a big advantage. So what do you do? We're going to dive into that today on the Man Talks podcast. So here we go with Mr. Oren Claff. Hey, Oren, thanks so much for joining us on the Man Talks podcast. Before we get started, we always like to ask our guests, can you tell us a story about a defining moment for you as a man? Oh, man. Uh, def- well, a defining moment for me as a man was to decide to really have one girlfriend, you know, one woman, one girlfriend go, you know, cause if you look at the yearbook, they say least likely to get a date ever and later in life, you know, least likely to, to have a permanent girlfriend and least likely, you know, to get married. And so those are real life inflection points because, you know, a lot of people argue we're not made to be, um, uh, monogamous, you know, Howard Stern would say monogamy is a poor man's game. So, Monogamy, I think, is a real inflection point in every man's life. And I know everyone listening under the age of 30 goes, I got this. Don't worry. I can handle it. When this, uh, uh, when it turns a corner and faces you, there's, there's anxiety and question the whole way through. Absolutely. Thanks so much for, thanks for sharing that. And, and what is it that, that just, you know, that, that got you to that point where you decided monogamy was the way? Uh, you know, it's interesting for me, uh, you know, I don't know if you know Neil Strauss and those guys, but I lived on Sunset Boulevard. I knew all those guys from the game. Uh, you know, I'd see them out on Sunset. I'd lived in Hollywood Hills for 12 years. You know, it's just a very exciting place to live your life. And there's lots of people and culture and social networks. So, you know, you can argue it's not Minnetonka or Wichita Falls, where you know you have the classic American love story, 
And uh, eventually, you, just, you know, you meet that one person or one partner. Uh, my case, a beautiful, beautiful woman from Belize who uh, that's why they have the cliches because they apply, you know, sweeps you off your feet and changes your frame on how the world does work and can work. Very cool. Have you, have you, uh, since you're friends with Neil, have you read his new book, The Truth? You know, that's not, that's just not my cup of tea. Uh, I think Neil continued down that path. And, uh, you know, I, I took a left turn and I'm focused 100% on raising capital, making money, driving wealth for both, you know, our company and lots of other companies. So uh, we're, we're focused on the, the, we're capitalists now, not, <laughs> uh, you know, players of the love game. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, let's dive into that. Let's dive in, into what you do. Why don't you give us like a little 30 second, what you do in the world. So our listeners know, you know, what they what they can expect from the next 25 minutes. So look, as you intimated, uh, Neil Strauss cares about relationship, personal relationships. I care about human relationships and human psychology and human biology to the degree you can make money with it. Right. And so I'm an investment banker. I help companies raise money or companies that want to sell themselves. So just for example, we've got a client now, or I have a client who's a medical technology firm. They're happily minding their own business in Southern California. And a European company came in and said, we'd like to buy you. They said, oh, okay, easy. We'll sell ourselves. And they started running into all kinds of potholes and snares and, and traps that, that smart companies who try to buy small companies do and he called me up and said hey help me the the uh, founder and the board called me up and said help me sell my company it was just a 75 million dollar deal in which we can make three four five million dollars of fees uh so that's where my focus is right how can i make five million dollars for myself by helping somebody else achieve a 75 million dollar exit and do it all uh, predictably rapidly and with certainty Awesome. And it's, it's through this experience that you wrote the book, Pitch Anything, which uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, and I know a lot of people out there are a huge fan of, but, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can give everyone a little overview on what the book is all about. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is the way I characterize it in, in these days. So when you stand in front of someone or a group of people and you look them in the eye and you say, I'd like, to get, I'd like you to, to give me a million dollars, $5 million, sometimes $50 million, right? You are in stressful situations that involve human psychology. And just like being at the top of uh, Mount Everest, Mount Kilimanjaro, or being in a cage fight with, you know, the best cage fighters in the world, or being a, a racing up Pikes Peak in a car, doing some extreme human behavior, when you ask somebody for $50 million, you start to see the raw fringes of human psychology. And what you'll see at the fringes of human behavior are this, uh, if you get there often enough, right? One, people want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them. And people only value that which they pay for. So in whatever you're doing, selling something, trying to do a deal, uh, raising money, buying something, negotiating, those are the three pieces of the human condition that control the outcomes of most deals. And so Pitch Anything is really about how to use those elements, right? So how to drive status for yourself so people respect you, will listen to you, and will pay attention to you. Because if you're a low-status individual and the person you're selling to is a high-status individual, just on the social pecking order, they're less likely to pay attention to you or give you less attention than you need to sell your deal, right? I mean, 
attention, the, the strength of your status and the quality of your presentation equals the amount of attention you get. If you, you know, as I do meet with a hundred millionaires or billionaires or billion dollar funds, and they'll pay attention to you for three hours straight, you're probably going to sell them whatever it is you have. You're a good salesperson. You understand your product. You know the features. You understand how to explain it in context. Give examples, right? But nobody's going to listen to you for three hours. They're busy. You know, you told me this morning, hey, you bastard, Orn, hurry up. I have half an hour. People are going to listen to you for half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, right? We may have overstayed our welcome on this podcast. Uh, so, so if people are going to listen to you for 10 or 20 minutes, right, and that goes down the lower status you are. So, so pitch anything is about how to raise your status high so people will listen and pay attention to you um, with enough time for you to explain what you have and why somebody else should buy it and how to manage the human uh, condition. People want what they can't have and they chase that which moves away from them. So, right, so for example, and I know you have questions, but if you go to someone and, and you're needy and you're supplicating and you're asking them to buy your product or you're asking them to date you or you're asking them to be on your podcast, they go, huh, you're a low status person, right? I can get you anytime I want. I want to see what my options are. And so I'll say maybe. So at that point that you ask somebody to give you something, they're going to say, hmm, you know, I'm interested. Sounds good. Send me the information. We'll take another look at it. Uh, and if we have any other questions, we'll call you or email you. So, so pitch anything is about how to manage those circumstances. Nice. So let's let's dive into a couple of the keys to overcoming that. So, you know, let's let's take the perspective that you know people that are reading this book are, you know, maybe having to. Um, What's the word? What's the what's the phrase? It's like punch above their weight class. I think that's I've heard that in the business world quite quite a bit. Where it's like you're punching above your weight class. You're you're kind of like out of your league a little bit or out of your element a little bit. So we'll take that context. But what yeah, of- so everybody who punches above their weight class in that metaphor or euphemism does the same thing. They feel trepidation, right? So they come in and they go, "Thank you." for letting us have this meeting. We're really excited. I've prepared a great presentation for you. It's worked all night, worked all week on it. And I think if you decide to become our customer or become a partner with us, you know, we're going to bend over backwards to make you happy, right? What they do is because people do that because they feel they're at risk punching above their weight class, right? So they're testing the environment and making it lower risk than they perceive it to be, right? But when you open up or introduce yourself in that way. You know, it's the same as saying, uh, hey, sorry, I'm late. I couldn't find a parking spot. Really? You're coming in here asking me for a million dollar deal and you couldn't find a parking spot and get here on time? Is that someone I want to be in business with? Right? So, so when you lower your status and you supplicate, it makes life infinitely harder, but you do it because in a sense, it feels like you're reducing risk, but all it's doing is increasing risk. So in some ways, the human mind is built to protect you in social situations, right? This is the behavior you have when you uh, meet an opposing tribe member uh, uh, 15 million years ago, right? Or 150,000 years ago when civilization was really starting to organize itself and you met another hunting party, right? You were nice. You were polite because you were trying to feel them out and reduce the risk of the situation, right? But nobody's going to kill you in a board meeting And these kinds of risk-reducing behaviors signal neediness to the mind of the other person across the table. So coming in into situations where you feel anxiety because you're punching above your weight, you need to rise above the fear of your mind 
and have a pre-programmed, pre-prescribed opening and segue or on-ramp into the presentation. And that's really easy, right? So instead of saying, thank you and please, you say, hey guys, look, it's 10 o'clock. Uh, I know we're going to kick off the meeting if it's good for you. I know your whole team isn't here yet, but we're in a pretty tight time schedule. Looks like we have the main people here. If anybody needs fluids in or out, let's do that now and get this thing kicked off. We're pretty busy. have carved out about an hour today and I have about a 20-minute presentation to get to. Uh, so unless you see it differently, why don't we get kicked off now and uh, we'll present for 20 minutes and then turn over to you and, and let you tell us a little bit about yourselves in context of what we have. Is that the stage in your method? I, you know, for those that are listening, you know, you have a, a method called the pitch anything method. And the first step is to set the frame. Or are you essentially saying that this is part of the process of setting the frame? Yeah, that's setting the frame, right? So there can only be one perspective on a social or business situation, right? Either I am superior to you or you are superior to me in terms of status. We really have parity right? So buyers come in and they believe that they own the entire situation, right? They have the money, they have the choice, they can give you a contract, they can give you the money, they can agree to buy, they can give you the purchase order, right? And you are the lowly salesperson or the lowly entrepreneur. And it's your job to do a dog and pony show and win the prize of the money, right? And so we, we want to reframe that and let the buyer know he's a commodity, not us. Money is a commodity, not us. The willingness to work with the buyer, to do a deal with the buyer, to do a joint venture, that's a commodity. We are special. There's one of us and we're scarce and he has to earn the right and earn our attention. We're not going to earn his attention. So we got to change that frame so he appreciates us. Otherwise, if we don't, you don't have to do it aggressively like I'm talking to you very nicely. But if you don't change the frame to where the buyer is trying to win your attention, trying to earn the, the chance to work with your product, the chance to work with you. And I know it sounds fantastic, but you have to do that. Otherwise, they're going to be lording over you, demanding discounts, demanding price reductions, demanding unfair terms, never committing. And that is the, sort of the death of every sale. So, yeah, you have to change the frame so the buyer sees you in a more positive light than he even sees himself. Nice. Yeah. And I think this is so relevant for, you know, even, even for people that are just within like a corporate structure who are maybe trying to move up the ladder. I think that this is so relevant. Like if you're trying to get to the next position or, you know, get a promotion or something like that, I think a lot of people go about it from this very same mentality and structure that you're talking about where, you know, they, they put the, their bosses and the other people ahead of themselves, kind of like pedestaling them. And then they go at it from this position of, oh yeah, please, like I, I really feel like I, I deserve this job. And, you know, I've done all these things and, and it's a very weak stance and it puts the other people above them. And so I think that this methodology is very applicable for, you know, even people that are trying to get ahead. Well, listen, yeah, if, if you want, you know, we circle back around sometime, you want to bring somebody in who's going in for a big job raise or interview or something like that. I mean, the way to do it, right, is to say, hey, it has been fantastic working here together. It feels like we're at a plateau, right? As you know, I've got my career, you know, I'm advancing my career quickly. I'd like to know the business plan for the next three years of the firm so I can understand where we're all going together, right? And so instead of saying, hey, I'd like a raise, 
you know, or I'd like a promotion or I see that the seat is empty. I come in and say, hey, what's the plan for the next three years? I want to make sure this is the most competitive uh, company in our industry going forward and that our plans going forward are sound. So when I commit to the company for the next, because when I commit, I commit. And when I commit to the company for the next generation of growth, it's a real plan. And now the hiring manager or the CEO or whoever it is has got has got to prove to you that their plan for the next couple of years are sound. So these, these are win-win games, right? Nobody just can come in and, uh, you know, maybe that's a good point. Then I'll get, let you get to your question. If there's zero tension in a negotiation, in a conversation, in a meeting, nothing was accomplished, okay? No, nobody comes in and says, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. I like you. This is great. Right. And then goes away and does a deal or does a favorable deal. Tension is important and you can't be afraid of it. Right now, now there's there, you can easily go from tension to being uh, aggravating, or maybe not easily, but you know, you got to find that gray area where there's tension and there's give and take, but you're, you know, you're not blowing it up by being an impossible person to work with. But these situations demand that you put as much pressure on the other person as they're putting on you, which creates parity. When you have parity, people see you as a peer. Uh, when people see you as a peer, then they're willing to pay attention to you and see how all this ties together. Very nice. Very nice. So in the you know, in, in the book, you talk about this strong acronym and then the sort of the next steps are tell the story and reveal the intrigue. Um, I'm, I'm curious about I'm curious about those two. How do you set up the story? Is that what you're talking about before in terms of setting up the space for like the job promotion? Is that is that tell the story? And then how do you reveal the intrigue to people? Yeah, sure. So strong is a set the frame, tell the story, reveal the intrigue, offer the prize nail the hook point, get the deal. That's, you know, every deal is going to go through those phases, you know, but, but, you know, we've got five or six minutes here. So S is set the frame. We've been talking about that, right? Hey guys, good to meet you. You know, we've been talking about getting together for a while and uh, I'm glad we could finally find the time where we're both available. I've got about an hour here today. There's a 20 minute presentation. I'll get to that in a minute, and then I'll give you guys some time to tell me a little bit about yourself, right? That's setting the frame. That that reframes who's important in the situation, whose agenda it is, and that we are peers, right? And by the way, it also, you know, by, by saying this is a professionally run meeting, it also lets the buyer know he's in the hands of a professional, right? And they ascribe more truth to the things you're saying. So that's setting the frame. Right. And there's, there's other ways, you know, to, to frame set to get the moral authority frame. Uh, so, you know, you find something that they've done wrong. Right. That's a little unusual. And you point that out and make sure you are at the center of sort of moral turpitude or moral true north. And now you've reframed them as a little weird and they're get, looking to get back into the center. So there's lots of ways to reframe. So, so I was in a, a huge client. Uh, they walked me in. They just completed like a 20 minutes to ad agency, a $20 million uh, refurbishment of their lobby. It's, you know, it was in Europe. It's gold inlay and mosaic and, and literally champagne flowing from the walls and naked women running around serving you olives and little too. I mean, it's amazing, right? Magic carpets. And so I get in a meeting with the CEO and immediately go, hey, um, I like what you've started with the lobby. I'm excited to come back in a few months and see it finished up. Right. <laughs> and so, 
there's, there's lots of ways to have fun with reframing, but then, you know, you got to tell the story. So in the time left, I mean, I think this is important to cover. What most people do when they get to a meeting, get on the phone, they go, Hey, you know, our ball bearings are last longer, can retain more heat. Our, our routers can route traffic faster and have less downtime, whatever it is. Our lawnmowers have cost less to operate and can, can produce more lawn yield and require less uh, maintenance. You know, they start with features and benefits and therefore we can save you money. Once you give features and benefits and, and you give the ROI, the next question is how much is it? And then whatever your answer to that is, the meeting is over, right? So yeah, you might be in a room for another hour with niceties, but I've seen these meetings that are over in three minutes. The features, the benefits, the economics, how much is it? Meeting over, how can we get out of this room? That's not telling the story, right? The story is starting with an idea. And so if you think about, you know, and you guys watch, uh, do you guys have NPR, you know, where you are? Okay, so if you hear NPR, right, how does an NPR story start out about, you know, sort of, if you, if you hear those they, on the radio, they go, you hear, chirp, 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 and some canoeing snaps. I'm here at the edges of the Okavango Swamp. It's incredible. Normally, this area is bustling with villagers, but the, the edges of the water are desolate. No one is leaving their huts because the Zika virus has shut down the coffee industry. Right. Next, we're going to a village where the used to make a hundred dollars a day manufacturing coffee. They haven't produced a pound. Especially, oh, there's an alligator. Right. So, so, so they set a stage and there's an establishing shot, like a movie and they begin to tell a story. If you hear the same thing on Fox News, right, it, it's it, Fox News goes like this. Uh, prices of coffee have plummeted uh, $9 a pound down to $1 a pound because of the Zika virus rampant on the edges of Africa, and now it's moving through South America. Does this affect you? Up next, will you be born with a deformity? So, <laughs> you know, Fox News are not storytellers, right? They're just shotgun blasts to your face of information. NPR's expert storytellers, they they bring you into their swim lane slowly. And, and everybody's had this experience. They're listening to an NPR newscast. They park the car in the driveway, right? They turn the car off and they finish listening to it. Nobody in the history of humankind, right? 50 million years has ever gone into their driveway, been listening to a Fox News broadcast, <laughs> turned off the car and waited for it to finish. Right? Definitely. So, so beautiful story. You know, I can, you know, that, that are openers that, that open with ideas, not about you, not about the product, right? But, uh, I mean, I can give you an example if you want. I mean, we have dozens of examples in these if people want to see. So I've filmed, if you guys are interested in giving out the URL, a six-minute pitch that opens with a story and is done in six minutes perfectly, right? What I've tried to do is take what most people do in an hour and boil it down to six minutes done moment by moment, exactly as it should be done. But I can read you an example, if you're interested, you know, I can read you an example of a big idea here that's, you know, that's real, that we built a pitch for and, and put in the market. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Uh, let's see. So you know, we've done hundred, you know, you just airports, airplanes, logistics, real estate, uh, technology. Let, let's do, what? let's do technology or real estate. Cause those are pretty huge out here. Okay, let's do let's do one of each quickly. You know, here's one that 
is this is this is a good one. This is a good example. This is a very complicated product, like extremely technical media transcoding product that it took the company about first time I met them, took them about 45 minutes just to explain what it is they've done. So I rewrote it in 150 words. Human humans, American human males speak about 110, 120 words a minute. So this is about a minute and a half uh, explaining what they do as an idea, right? And, and I like to open these up in the way you might open up a TED Talk. It's not about the company. It's not about making money. Uh, it's not about the what we do. It's an idea about how the world is changing. So here's here's a company you know nothing about. Hopefully, 150 words from now, you'll understand a company you never even knew existed. So if you're an average U.S. consumer, then your home has a mix of digital devices. And you probably record photos and video with a phone. You watch cooking videos on a tablet, and you purchase movies from your laptop. You also record shows to your DVR, and now you're streaming Netflix and Amazon to your TV. It's frustrating to have your content stuck on all these different devices and proprietary operating systems. As a consumer, you would prefer to pick up any device, and no matter where you are, have instant access to your music, photos, movies, and shows, right? What you want is called something. It's called cross-device, cross-network, cross-platform media. And providing it is an absolute damn nightmare for engineers and all the chipset makers, service providers, and media companies. Complete nightmare. While you may want cross-device access, you can't get it today. Yet the demand for secure personal cross-media is enormous. And there's no disagreement among analysts, investors, and media companies. Today, right now, if you could give consumers easy access to all their content at home or away on any device via gateway to cloud, gateway or cloud, you would have a large and fast-growing user base and make a lot of money. This presentation is about our leading technology in transcoding, place shifting, and cross-device delivery. So you, you see how differentiated it is. It's not about us. It's about a pro, a, the way the world is changing and where we're positioned in that change. Absolutely. I think I think one of the beautiful things about it as well is is you immediately take it out of the commodity land and and into something unique and special and and you know worth uh, you know worth listening to and I, you know as I, I myself work in, in an advertising agency and you know we're always trained to, to to tell stories as much as possible but for those that are out there that are selling you know lawnmowers and shopping carts you know to, to be able to, to to give it a story gives them so much power. Well, let me, let me give you another one quickly. This one's you know, another 150 words, and this is sort of even more accessible. That was a very complex technology. This, here's a big idea that I really like, right? So today, if there's an unfortunate twist of fate in your life and you're critically injured in a car accident, a workplace accident, or really a surprisingly common slip and fall, your instincts will be to dial 911. This single action will put you in the fate you know, we'll, we'll put your fate in the hands of a Byzantine network of phone operators, private contractors, and public services, right? You may want to stop reading this presentation now because once you know how a 911 call is routed, you'll understand how at risk you and the people you love really are. Right? Now, look, if you're a healthy 24 to 65-year-old American male, chances are you will and can survive the 15 and a half minute average response time takes uh, for an ambulance to get to you. But if you're disabled, critically injured, 
It's possible that 911 will be the last call you ever make. Well, forget the risks for a moment. 911 is a $17 billion problem for hospitals and healthcare providers. So if you had a solution that eases the economic burden, uh, improved critical response time, you'd have, a, uh, and that solution was a company, you'd have a big, fast-growing opportunity. So, so that, that little presentation, you know, 150 words that I just gave you there, you know, help. Uh, it doesn't explain the product. You don't know what the company does, but it helps everybody form an idea and a notion of something new, insightful. They didn't know before. It brings them into your world. It lets you know that there's a big problem out there. Things are changing and that they're in a serious presentation. They need to put down their phone, stop texting and listen to to figure out how the world is going to work over the next two, three, five, ten years. Awesome. So, so Warren, there's a, there's a few more elements into the, in this strong acronym that the listeners are definitely going to want to learn more about, and and I'm sure they can learn more about uh, about it uh, on, on your website. What's what's the best way for them to uh, to get a hold of you and learn more? Yeah. So um, we set up a site specifically for you guys. So if you go to pitchanything.com/slash/mantalks, there's there's a six minute pitch there that I think we watch it internally. Everybody should watch it. I give it. Um, it starts with one of these ideas. For something very simple uh and then i break down minute by minute exactly what i did and why i think it's worth a watch so it's it's pitch forward slash man talks awesome and definitely go check out the book the book can be uh purchased in your local bookstore or online also it, it may, it's a great audiobook as well which i've which i've had a chance to listen to um Orin, is there anything else that you're excited about these days that you want everyone to know about uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to have a second book coming out. Uh, it's going to be on negotiation, but get pitched anything and get good at that stuff. It's going to take you a couple months to go, oh, yeah, now I know how to open a meeting and to practice a few times and watch it working. And then when the negotiation book comes out, you'll be ready to do more advanced stuff. Get this. I mean, this is like pickup. This is like social network. You, 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 you know, this is not the little red book on selling. This requires understanding how to raise your status and then practicing it, finding some people to do it with and compare notes and then coming back to me and getting, you know, to the next level. So, so pitch anything is a good starting point. It definitely, uh, you know, changed this So, in the last 15 seconds. Like, you know, I like Tim Ferriss. I like Neil. But these are fringe ideas. This is sort of like, I'm a gorilla. I live at the fringe of society. I sneak in at night and steal something, a woman's, some money, some ginseng tea. Then I run back out, you know, and live in the trees. This pitch anything is about going, it's like a basketball game. You got to get more points on the board and there are rules. So if you live in a world where you can't break the rules, you can't sneak into uh, you know the city and steal things and sneak back out and you just have to play the game better than anybody else plays it and win, get more points on the board. That's you know that's what that's what we started talking about. Like you know I have a our firm has a securities license. We're overseen by the government. We win deals by doing things honestly fairly, with integrity, straight up the middle, and we beat the other team hands down with a better playbook, better method. So if that resonates with you, then pitch anything is for you. If you're a gorilla that wants to sneak into the city at night and steal somebody else's money while they're sleeping, then somebody else is for you. And by the way, that's reframing done perfectly. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic, man. Um, just lot, very last question before we let you off the hook. Um, what is the legacy that you want to leave in the world? 
So, you know, that, that question three years ago would have been very different. You know, a hundred million dollars, an island and three airplanes and 17 for our, you know, but I have a little boy now. I have a, the number one book in America that's not driven by a TV show and uh, the book and my little boy, I'm happy. Uh, so I've, I've taken me a while, but if you do something of value that will stand the sands of time, that's a good legacy. It cre- you know, create a product that that people continue to use another company buys they continue to use it that's a good legacy my legacy i got an amazing little boy and the book is terrific so i'm done you can fly an airplane into my house and uh i'll go happily awesome well <laughs> please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> awesome so guys if you want to learn more about Oren and and the pitch anything process you can go to pitchanything.com. As you mentioned, there's all sorts of amazing videos and tips and tools and all that sort of stuff. It's all about presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. And you can go to mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and any of our videos and events, which are going to be going live soon. Please, once again, subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And, of course, leave us a rating, which goes a long way to help us get the podcast into more ears. Thanks so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man.